Amen. Let me invite your attention. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Learning to speak wisely. As I begin a message today, I need some participation from you in the congregation. And I'm going to ask some questions and just want you to raise your hand if it's okay or not okay. First question, is it okay to put pineapple on pizza? If you think it's okay, just raise your hand. Okay, if you think that's not okay, raise your hand. Amen. I like that. Second question, is it okay to drive in the left lane, in the fast lane? You've seen drivers do that. You want to, They're driving in the wrong lane. So is it okay to drive in the left lane? Okay, those, those, who, yes, those who are against that, just raise your hand. Amen, I agree with that. Now, I want to tee this next one up for guys here. When I ask a question, you raise your hand. No questions asked, just raise your hand. Is it okay for mothers to have a day off? Just raise your hand. There you go. Uh, if you're against that, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I want you to have a good Mother's Day. So I'm not going to do that. But questions. Let me ask you this question from James. Is it okay to slander or to judge another person? And we'd answer that no. What we're going to see today in this sermon series, Nuts and Bolts, but today learning to speak wisely, James is going to get in our business a little bit. And I hope you're okay with James getting in your business because he's been in my business all week long. And sometimes when you look at God's Word and you teach the truth of Scripture verse by verse, here's what you find. There are times you say amen to something, and then there are times you say oh me to something. That very well may be the situation today in some ways. We know this about life. When something happens, there's a cause behind it. For example, if an airplane crashes, there's a cause. It could be pilot error. It could be equipment malfunction. It could be the weather. It could be terrorist activity. We know that in our nation. When the family falls apart, there's a cause behind that. You can look at the family and you say, well, we didn't communicate well. Or you look at the family and say, our schedules were so busy, we just didn't spend time together. You look at a family and say, we made some unwise decisions. Or you look at a family and say, we were financially irresponsible. It cost us dearly, and so the family fell apart. When a local church functions less than God's desire for her, there's always a cause to that. It could be unity among God's people. It could be obedience among God's people. Or it could be an issue of vision among God's people. But when the church doesn't function the way God desires, there's a cause that leads to that. What James is going to say here in James chapter 4 about learning to speak wisely, when we slander or we judge another person, there's a cause behind that. So as I think about James chapter 4 to kind of set this up again, if there's ever been a time in life where we need to learn to speak wisely, we need unity in the church, but also in the family, it would be today, I believe. Here's what we know, we're at war. And we're at war because we have an enemy, we have an adversary, he is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone he might devour. He's seeking to devour individuals, marriages, families, churches, even nations. But here's the truth, because great is God's faithfulness. We know this, that just as the enemy is causing chaos, greater is he who lives in you than he that is in the world. We know the faithfulness of God, and here's what God can do. In the midst of chaos, 
in the midst of division, in the midst of distraction, God can use that to bring good out of that situation. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph standing before his brothers and he says to them, I know you, what you did, you intended it for evil, but God has used it for good. We also know in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, to those who love God and who've been called according to his purpose, the Bible says this, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God can do that. One of the things we know in life, I know it's true in this room today, true for those who watch online, we desire to learn how to speak wisely in life. Uh, let me go back, September the 11th, 2001. A horrific day in our nation that Tuesday as it unfolded. After that day, here's what happened. I had parents asking again and again to say, how can I speak wisely to our kids? How do we talk to them about suffering, about evil, and about death? What do we say to them after September the 11th? We have believers asking us again, how do we speak wisely in the workplace? How do we do this in school? How do we do this in relationships about the same things? How do we talk about evil, suffering, death? How do we do that? As pastors, we were asking God to say, God, how do we use this platform, this season? How do we speak wisely about Jesus Christ, that our hope is in the Lord? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. How do we communicate wisely after this national tragedy? How do we do that? It's not really changed because we could go back to 2020 and we think about COVID Many of us were saying, how do we speak about this? What do we do? We want to make sure we're doing the best we can as God would give us leadership. We were asking, how do we speak wisely in that moment, in that situation? We also find ourselves looking at the war in Ukraine and saying, how do we explain that? How do we speak wisely? What does the Bible say about war? What do we say to people about what's happening in that part of the world? Over the last number of days, we see this decision, this leak from the Supreme Court about Roe versus Wade. How do we speak wisely in the midst of that with compassion for people, but also being faithful to God's word and valuing the sanctity of human life? How do we do that? And so we need to know how to speak wisely in life. As I read God's word, there's no doubt he wants the family, but the church to be united and here's what I know today as we look at James chapter 4. Yes, he's speaking to a local church, to a group of believers. And you and I know this, the church is not this building. You and I, those who know Christ, who've been born again, who have been transformed, you and I are the church. If this building was gone tomorrow, we could still gather Wednesday night and next Sunday and worship and obey God in life. But how do we understand unity? And here's what we're saying from God's word today. Yes, it applies to the church, but also to the family. And as you look at a progression, here's what I know. When individuals suffer, marriages suffer. When marriages suffer, families suffer. When families suffer, churches suffer. When churches suffer, the nation suffers. And when the nation suffers, the world suffers. And that's why a message like today is so critical as we think about God's word related to the church, but also to the family. So how do we learn to speak wisely? I encourage you today to take some good notes as we walk through this. Look at number one, be slow to speak. 
A common theme from the book of James again and again and again is the tongue. It's about your speech. It's about the words that you select to use. He's just saying again, be slow to speak. Now I want to give you a little grammatical lesson here from the Greek language. We read it in English where it says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. But in the Greek text, it does not begin with do, it begins with not. And so when you look at it, not is the very first word in that sentence in the Greek text. And here's what that means. You should never do this. So what James is saying, not speak evil against one another, brothers. He is saying to those who are believers, you should never speak evil against another person, another believer in Christ. Never do that. Now, as you look at that, can you imagine if we did not speak evil against another brother or a person of the faith, what would our, our fellowship look like? What would our conversations be like? What would our disagreements be like? What would our social media posts be like if we never did those things? Now, as you look at this, he says, do not speak evil. Notice the word evil. Let me give you two words. I encourage you to write these down on your outline because they're not there. When he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers, here's the two words that I want you to write down. One is the word slander. The second word is the word judgment. What do I mean by those? When he says slander, here's what that means. You talk behind another person's back. Rather than speaking with someone, you speak about someone behind their back. Harsh words, critical words, damaging words. That's what he's saying. This should never come out of the mouths of those who are believers in Christ. So that's the idea of slander. We often use the word gossip with that. You know this, that gossip destroys close friends. Anyone who gossips to you will also gossip about you. And so you need to be careful about the word with the idea of slander. Second word there I use is judgment. He says here again, talking about do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. The idea of judgment in God's word carries two different meanings. One is condemnation. You and I should never judge another person for condemnation's sake. That's God's idea there. But as you and I think about judgment, there is a time that we're going to look at this word and understand restoration. I'm not condemning this person. I want to restore this brother or sister in Christ. If I see a brother or sister in Christ living disobedient to God, then I ought to come with that person in the spirit of love, the spirit of Christ. And how can I help restore that brother or sister in Christ? What James is saying here, slander and judgment that leads to condemnation should never come out of our mouths. That's why he says not should be never. Now, something else I want to give you, the more time I study, the more information I get. But I want to give you some more information here that's not on your outline. I encourage you to write these phrases down. Because what happens when we slander or we judge to condemn another brother or sister in Christ? What happens with that? I want to give you five quick statements to that. Then we'll get to these three words on the outline. But the five quick statements, if we slander or judge a brother or sister in Christ with our mouths, what happens is that one, we dishonor our father. Because the Bible is very clear. He says not means you should never do this. When we slander or we judge for condemnation, another brother or sister in Christ, we are disobeying what God has asked us to do. We dishonor him. And church, I don't ever want to dishonor my heavenly father. I want to honor him, want to love him and respect him. Don't want to dishonor him. But when we slander, when we judge, we dishonor him. Second thing we do, we destroy our witness. There are other people listening as you and I talk. And as we slander and judge another brother or sister in Christ, destroys our witness. We should be building bridges to people, not barriers to people. 
And when I look on social media, so much of what we do on social media is speaking harsh against another brother or sister in Christ or we're judging another brother or sister in Christ. We must be careful with the words that come out of our mouth that we don't destroy our witness to a watching world. Number three, delights our enemy. When you and I slander someone, we judge someone, we criticize someone, we gossip about someone, it delights our enemy because he knows we're disobeying God and we're doing what he wants us to do. He wants us to destroy somebody as well. He wants us to speak bad about somebody. That delights our enemy. Church, we should never delight our enemy. We should resist him, not delight him. And then let me give you number four. It damages our relationships. As you think about your relationships in your family, when you slander someone or you judge someone to condemn someone, it damages those relationships. And many of those, even on Mother's Day, many relationships are strained. Why? Because it was words that were spoken. Not so much actions, just words that hurt, that wounded, and still need to be healed. So it damages our relationships, and then it divides our churches. If you want to divide God's people, then you start slandering one another You start judging to condemn one another, and it will cause chaos in the fellowship of God's people. And James says, you should never, ever do this. Speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ. Now the question comes up, then why should we learn to speak wisely? And I've given you these three words. One is the word afraid. There are people in life today who are afraid. They're afraid of what's going on in life. And I heard one author one time say this, that we're crucifying ourselves before two thieves. One is the regrets of the past, and the second one is the fear of the future. And so you and I shouldn't live afraid of the future. Why? Because we put our trust in God. He's in control. God is sovereign. He is faithful. Great is his faithfulness again, but many people are afraid to say, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen in the world? What's going to happen in my life? What's going to happen in our family? As we learn to speak wisely, we say, you don't have to be afraid. Trust in God. He is in control. Second word is the word confused. There are many people out there who in life, they're confused. You're going to meet them maybe in your family or places you work or people in you're in school with, but they're just confused to say, what is going on in life? Why does all this bad stuff seem to happen? Why did God allow that to happen in my life or our marriage or our family or in my school or in my life, in our circumstance? Why did God allow that? Why does he allow evil to continue in the world in which we live? There are many people who are confused. You can speak wisely and speak truth into their lives. Number three is the word interested. There are many people interested in spiritual matters. We, we oftentimes excuse this to say, well, no one's interested anymore. They're not interested in about those things. I disagree with that. I think people are interested to say, what does it mean to know Jesus in life? How does a person go to heaven? What is heaven going to be like? How can I make sense out of the chaos of my life? I think people are interested. So when we speak slow... Meaning oftentimes we speak too much and too soon, but when we learn to speak slow and we speak wisely, we can deal with people's fears, we can help them in their confusion, but we can speak because they're interested in spiritual matters. You just have to learn to speak slow. Listen to people, be quick to listen, slow to speak, listen to people, and then speak God's truth. Speaking wisely is speaking truth. Number two. Be sensitive to situations. 
James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. What James is saying there is, those of you who slander and who judge for condemnation, you're saying in your life and by your words, you know more than God's word knows. That's a dangerous place to get to in your life. You, you and I will never know more than God's Word. I was talking to somebody this past week talking about Bible study and studying the Word, and I said, there's more about the Word I don't know than what I do know. And so that's why God continues to give me a hunger to study the Word of God because I want to know more, know His heart, know His mind, know His ways. But you and I need to make sure, again, when you and I think about the Word of God, He's continuing to speak to you and me. He'll speak through the Word. He'll speak through the Holy Spirit. He'll speak through prayer, circumstances, but also other people. We need to make sure, again, that we are sensitive to situations. What's going on in the lives of people? Who is hurting? Who is wounded? Who needs to be healed in life? How can we be sensitive? to those situations. I want to give you these truths. These are evident as we think about this if we're going to be sensitive to people. Number one, the enemy is at work. Uh, That's not a new revelation to you and me. We know again that he looks to steal, kill, and destroy. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone he devoured. The enemy is at work. He's at work in the lives of individuals, marriages, families, churches, and our nation. The enemy is at work. He's causing confusion. He's bringing division and discord. He's seeking to destroy people as well. The enemy is at work. Number two, sin is a serious subject. Folks, as you and I talk about disobedience to God, whatever form of disobedience that is, it is not something to ignore. God has never called you and me to ignore sin in life. He doesn't ignore it. We we shouldn't ignore it either. But we also, please understand, we should never laugh at sin. In many circles in our culture today, we laugh at what God calls sin. Sin is a serious subject. Please understand, why did the Lord Jesus Christ go to Calvary's cross, shed his blood, give his life, and die horrific death? Why did he do that? We have all sinned to come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ died for you and for me. Sin is a serious subject. Number three, human life is sacred. You and I need to understand again, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by a loving Heavenly Father. You and I have been made in the image of God. The sanctity of human life matters. And as we look at the culture in which we live, again, we're going to be criticized. We may even be protested against. But we need to understand, based on God's Word, since the situations, human life is sacred in the eyes of God. That's the truth of God's Word. Number four, life is always uncertain. Uh, We're going to get more into this next week as we look at James chapter 4. But you and I need to know we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't even know what's going to happen before this service ends. Life is always uncertain. This weekend became really real to me again. I was watching the news coverage of the hotel, the gas explosion in Cuba and Havana. And I remember walking on different times the streets of Havana, being around that hotel, Hotel Saratoga, and being around there and thinking, it's a nice hotel, luxury hotel. It was on the verge of reopening again. And then a gas explosion over the weekend. Over 20 individuals lost their lives. Life is uncertain. You never know in the blink of an eye when life is going to change. That's why we need to be sensitive to situations around us. I remember President George W. Bush after September 11, 2001. 
Uh, much like you, I was watching television coverage, watching news reports, seeing the president address the nation. And I remember one time from the Oval Office, a group of reporters asking him questions. And they asked President George W. Bush, they said this, what is your prayer life like and what are your personal concerns? That's a great question to ask the president of the United States. What is your prayer life like? What are your personal concerns? President George W. Bush gave a great spiritual, compassionate answer, but a presidential answer, and George W. Bush said this, when it comes to my prayer life and my personal concerns, President Bush, with tears in his eyes, said this, I'm not really concerned about myself. I'm concerned about those who are suffering in our country. He was sensitive to situations around him. If you and I are going to speak wisely, we need to be slow to speak, but we also need to be sensitive to situations. What is going on in the lives of people that I can speak the truth of God to comfort them, to help them, and to assure them what can I do to speak God's Word into their lives? Be sensitive to situations around you. Number three, be a student of Scripture. As you look at this text, he goes on to say, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. That's the word of God. And judges the law. That's the word of God. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. We need to be a student of Scripture. As I think about the Word of God again, when you think about the Bible, we're we're to obey all the Word of God. We're to preach and teach the entire counsel. We're not to pick and choose what verses we want to hear and what verses we don't want to hear. Uh, When when Angie and I started in ministry, our senior pastor and his wife, we would often make hospital visits to Louisville or Nashville. And I knew every time when we got in the car and we started north or going south, we were going to either stop at the Jefferson Mall in Louisville or the Rivergate Mall in Nashville because we were always going to eat at Morrison's Cafeteria. Never failed. Every single time. There was no debate where we're going to eat at. He was going to eat at Morrison's Cafeteria. So you walk in there. I think he knew a lot of them by first name. And you walked in and you saw this buffet line. I mean, you had choices galore back in those days. Salads and meats and desserts and vegetables. and you could just, The list goes on and on. But you could just get whatever you wanted. The danger for you and me is that we approach the Word of God that way. We say, I like this verse. I don't care for this other verse. I like the verse that says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. I like that verse. But I don't like the verse that says, take up your cross daily and follow me. I don't like that one. And James is just saying to the folks who are listening to him, you can't pick and choose the word of God. You've got to be in the word. You've got to stay consistent in the Bible. That's why in my spiritual life, that's why this morning I was up reading the word of God, not for the sermon today, but just for my own soul, my own spiritual development, reading the word of God. I've got to be a student of scripture if I'm going to speak wisely. Because I don't want to speak the words of the world. I want to speak the words of God. Here's what God says about this situation, about this belief, about this issue. Here's what Almighty God says. And you've got to be a student of Scripture. Because some people are going to ask you questions and you're going to be ready to answer them. Look at these questions. What does God say about worship? I mean, what does God say about worship? He says He's looking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and truth. You and I need to be able to answer that question. If we're going to speak wisely, what does the Bible say about worship? There is only one who is worthy to be worshipped, and that is the Lord God Almighty. You and I don't worship a building. We don't worship tradition. We don't worship the past. 
Uh, we, we, we don't worship idols. We, we don't worship any of those things. We worship the Lord God Almighty. I was reading this week and studying about in Numbers chapter 21, the people were dying because they were being bitten by snakes. And in the midst of that, they were complaining to Moses. Moses talked to God, and God said, you just put a snake on a pole. Anyone who looks at the snake can live. Moses obeyed God's leadership, and all these people lived. And then you come to 2 Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah is in leadership. What are people doing to that snake that was on a pole? The Bible says they were making offerings to it. They were worshiping the very thing that God used. They should never worship that snake. They worshiped God. What did Hezekiah do? A courageous leader. He broke it into pieces. You and I need to be careful. What does the Bible say about worship? We worship God and we worship God alone. Don't worship idols. Don't worship buildings. Don't worship traditions. Don't worship the past. Worship Almighty God in your life. Look at number two, what does this book reveal about the church? We need to be able to answer that question. What does this book reveal about the church? You need to understand it like I do. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a country club. Thank God for members and thank God for membership in the life of the church. But church, we exist for those who aren't even here. We exist as well for those who need to hear the good news, the gospel. Jesus Christ loves them and gave his life for them. That's the purpose of the church. So, so when we think about the church, are we leaving this building and engaging the mission field or are we just asking people to come and see? The Bible is not merely come and see. It's about go and tell. So who are you telling about the good news of Jesus Christ? What does the Bible reveal about the church? We are the body of Christ, his bride. He gave his life for us. He'll build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome. Thank God for the church. What does God's Word teach about salvation? We need to be able to speak wisely about that because when it comes to salvation, there are not many ways to be saved. There's one way to be saved, and His name is Jesus Christ. That's why John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is only one name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It is the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. I just encourage you in the room or watching, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I wouldn't wait to tomorrow. I wouldn't wait to next week or next Sunday. I'd give your life to Jesus today. That's what the Bible says about salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the rest of this day. That's why the urgency of the gospel and salvation is so central. Number four, what does the Bible say about Jesus' return? What does the Bible say about that? Well, the first time he came, he came as a suffering servant to give his life for you and me, Isaiah 53. The second time Jesus is coming again, and he is coming again, maybe sooner than we expect, but Christ is coming again. When he comes again, he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is coming in victory the second time. Jesus is coming again. Number five, what does the word teach about the afterlife? You need to be able to have those conversations with people. There are only two aspects of the afterlife, heaven and hell. There's not three. There's no waiting period it's heaven or hell and as you think about heaven imagine what heaven is going to be like there's no cancer there's no heart attacks there's no mourning crying pain death none of those things heaven is going to be absolutely perfect and filled with the peace of god but when you think about torment think what that's going to be like separated from god for all eternity 
pain, suffering, torment that never ends. But understand, because of the grace of God and his faithfulness, you do not have to die and spend eternity in torment. Jesus Christ went to the cross, died, gave his life, shed his blood, that you could hear the good news of how to be saved and give your life to Jesus Christ. That's why, again, I plead with you, even today, in this room and those who are watching, do not delay, do not procrastinate. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Let him save you, transform you, that you'll be born again. You'll know Christ. You'll never be lost, and you'll spend eternity in heaven with him. That's his call for you. What does the Bible say about the afterlife? Well, we need to be, speak wisely about those things. That's why we need to be students of Scripture. Number four, be surrendered to the Savior. He says in this passage in verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Why should I never slander someone? Because that's not my position. Why should I never judge someone to condemn? That's not my position. There is only one lawgiver and there's only one judge who is able to save and destroy, and that is the Lord. One day you've got to realize you're going to stand before him like I'm going to stand before him. You're going to stand before him, and he's either going to say guilty or not guilty to you. You don't want to stand before him and hear him say guilty to you. Because that means you never put your trust and your faith in him. You'll spend eternity separating him. You want to stand before him, hear him say, not guilty. I died for him or her. He or she put their trust in me. I gave my life for this person, and they followed me in life. You want to stand before him and hear, not guilty. Why? Because he gave his life for you. And you can make that decision even today. You don't have to stand for him and say, guilty. You can stand before him and hear, not guilty, because... I've trusted Jesus in my life. Look at these words. Number one, it's time for individuals to repent. Folks in this room, it's time for individuals to repent. Those who need Christ, you, you repent. What does it mean? You change directions. So you repent and give your life to Christ. You stop following the world and you give your life to Christ and trust him as your Savior and Lord in life. It's time for individuals to repent. There are many individuals who are living in the hog pen. You're prodigals in relationship to God. You're living away from him. It's time to repent and come back to him. Wake up to your senses. Come home to a loving heavenly father who's going to run to you and welcome you home. It is time for individuals to repent. Number two, it's time for families to repent. It's time for families to stop playing church and take the church of the Lord Jesus Christ serious. It's time for families to make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord in your house. It's time for families to take serious discipleship. We got sons and daughters who know Christ who need to be discipled. The church wants to compliment you, but that's the role of the local family. That's the role of your family. It's time for families to repent. Look at number three. It's time for the nation to repent. If there's ever a time that this nation needs to repent of, of abortion, pornography, denying God's truth, it is now. We need a revival and spiritual awakening in this country. Amen. And then let me give you one that's not on your, on your outline. It's time for churches to repent. Amen. Church, it's time for us to be surrendered to God. It's time for us to be focused. It's time for us to be obedient. It's not a time again that we just turn inward. There's a lost world who needs the gospel. We need to repent and be faithful to what God's called us to do. It's time for us to do that. We need to be surrendered to the Savior. Now, let me ask you this question. We're going to pray and we're going to end. 
Today in the room of you who are watching, if life ended today, would you spend eternity in heaven or in hell apart from him? I had a friend of mine who was a pastor. His father passed away, and you don't hear this too much, but his father passed away, and he said about his dad, he said, you know, I have every suspicion that my dad is in hell today. And this is a pastor. And he says, I think about my dad. My dad was a good man. He took care of us as a family. But then he said this, I never recall my dad doing anything with Jesus in his life. Never. And so I just want to encourage you today, what decision do you need to make? Do you need to say today, I need to be saved? I just appeal to you to give your heart and life to Jesus. If you need to be saved, he's the one who will save you. He's the one who can save or destroy. Give your heart and life to him. Do you need to be obedient? What is God asking you to do this morning, this day? What is he asking? Give your life to Christ. Be baptized as a believer. Join the fellowship of this church. Confess some sin in your life. What is he asking? How do you need to be obedient to him? Do you need to be forgiven? God, I've sinned against you. I've lived away from you. I've been the prodigal, but I'm asking you to forgive me. Do you need that in your life? How many of you need to be revived in your life? Your relationship, your walk with God is just cold. And you need him to revive you. If you're going to learn to speak wisely, one, it's speaking to him, but it's also speaking to other people. What does God want to do in your life this very moment? And so I want us to bow our heads as we sing here in just a moment. We can come to him just as we are. And again, if you're going to speak wisely, you're going to have to speak slow. If you're going to speak wisely, you've got to be aware of situations around you. And if you're going to speak wisely, you've got to be a student of God's word, his truth, his precepts, his principles. And if you're going to speak wisely, you've got to be surrendered to Jesus in your life. And so I want to ask you today, are you speaking wisely to people around you? And if so, do you need to give your life to him today? I want to encourage you right now in this room, surrender your life to Christ. Make a decision to obey him. Make a commitment to follow his leadership in your life. That's what this invitation is all about. It's not just simply to come forward. It's not just to come to one of us. You're coming to the Lord. We want to serve him. We want to help you know him. We want to help you follow him. We want to help you obey him. Come to him just as you are. And we're going to celebrate and watch him change your life. So I'm going to pray, and after that, we're going to stand and sing a wonderful invitation song. Those in the room and those who are watching, you can come forward this morning in the room. We'll counsel you and celebrate with you. Those who are watching, you can respond to us any platform you're watching on. We'd love to respond back to you. But we're just asking you to obey the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Learn to speak wisely by surrendering your life to him. So, Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for truth. And Father, thank you that you have called us to speak wisely and we're going to need to surrender our lives to you to be able to do that. And thank you that we can come to you just as we are and you radically change us and that excites us. And so in this invitation, in the room or watching, Father, I pray for obedience in the hearts of people. Be glorious to see someone saved or someone else make a spiritual decision. But Lord, we're asking them to come to you and experience 
joy and life change and a new beginning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen.